1,000 COVID deaths and 10 days without power in Cedar Rapids. What a week. My name is Matt Sinovic. I'm the Executive Director of Progress Iowa. And I'm Ivy Beckenholt, Communications Director of Progress Iowa. Welcome to What a Week with the hot takes about the week's news and shout outs for people doing good in the world. This week we talked to Stacy Walker, the Lynn County Supervisor, during our interview about the devastation from last week's derecho storm and all the uh, great work that he and others are doing in the, in the recovery effort. Uh, um, in the recovery effort since. Uh, I do want to, before we get into our headlines this week, I want to welcome my new co-host um, for What a Week, Ivy Beckenhold, our new uh, um, digital communications director, and she's just doing an outstanding job, um, has been on the job, what, a couple, couple months? Is that right? Yep, I guess so. <laughs> Um, and, and so just doing, doing really great work. Uh, this is her first episode. So I'm thrilled that you're, that you're here and part of this. Um, we also have some fun new segments, um, that we have not done in the past, um, many of which were Ivy's idea. So, um, already making an impact and improving, uh, improving on, uh, on, on a lot of what we do. So Ivy, welcome. And thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Matt. Really excited to be here. Been listening to the podcast for a few weeks, so really ready to uh, start. Great, great. Um, so let's let's go into this week's headlines. Uh, the first headline we want to talk about is the just awful, terrifying data glitch um, that has skewed the uh, coronavirus metrics here in the state. Um, they've apparently been under-reporting or back backfilling data. Um, and it has thrown off a lot of the metrics that that people are using to decide whether schools can open and just really skewing the numbers. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, what are we supposed to do if we can't trust the, the data coming from the state? I mean. Exactly. It's ridiculous because this is the data that Kim Reynolds is using to force kids back into school. And we're just supposed to trust it whenever we're having all of these issues. And apparently they knew about these issues in late July, but they just told us right. this week. So there's really just a lack of transparency, which is obviously concerning. Yeah, and I just don't know. I mean, we're going to get into the death total here in a minute mm -hmm. as well. But like, even if they are eventually telling us the full story about the pandemic and what we need to do and all of that, I feel like they've there's a trust that has been repeatedly broken and so if we can't trust them to say this is what is happening and here's what we need to do it's it'll be it's going to be really hard to fully recover from this until i mean until there's just a vaccine or until it poof magically goes away like trump keeps saying it's going to do which <laughs> isn't going to happen right um mm -hmm. i'm hoping that i'm honestly thinking that the only thing that's going to get us back into school safely is a vaccine. Cause I just don't think that Reynolds is going to push like the correct measures. She's obviously not really work willing to work with the local school district. So it's just a big disappointment all around. It really is. The next news story is that Trump did not approve the full disaster declaration following Iowa's derecho last Monday. Um, this did not include individual aid, which is especially needed in Cedar Rapids. He only approved $45 million and not the full uh, $3.9 that uh, Reynolds was asking for. And I mean, we, he came to Iowa 
and a lot of leaders were like Joni Ernst were just praising his response when he only approved part of the declaration. I don't know. What do you think about this, Matt? I mean, it's just it's it's pretty remarkable that that when a city and a state are suffering as much as we are. Um, I mean, this is we're rolling into night. You know, there's been ten nights without power um, for thousands, and people are going to need some assistance to get back up and running. And and we don't. We're not. What's the message here? We'll see you later. Like good luck. Um, uh, it's we're just. It's it's basically being uh, uh, abandoned um, by by the federal government. Um, it took way too long for the governor to submit this request in the first place. Um, and now it's being partially denied or delayed. And that's just, it's just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. I mean, I was reading earlier uh, Liz Lenz's story this week, and it was just insane because people, they don't have, like, if they don't have a cell phone and if they don't have service or anything like that, they... I read that someone has diabetes and they hadn't eaten for days and they didn't know like what was happening, who was going to come to help them. It's just so horrible. So, right. Yeah. I mean, hoping, there's, hoping. and everybody, they're all going to need help. Like everybody's mm-hmm. going to need help. Cause nobody, I mean, you already have an, like a, 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 you, you, you basically have a triple whammy now where every, most places in the country, you have this horrible pandemic. You have, millions and millions out of work um or struggling to get by and then now you also dump on top of them you know this once in a gen i mean generation storm that has torn through our state and and it's something's got to give something's got to you know we like something has to happen where they get a little bit of like even a tiny bit of help um so Hopefully that will that will eventually come through, um, but but we know that there are good people uh, on the ground there doing doing a lot of good work to to mm-hmm. try and make sure that happens. So yeah, yeah, and a little shout out even here just to like uh, Black Lives Matter, like that organization was like donating food and organizing food banks and things like that. Just like so many people in the community are helping out. So at least that is something inspiring to see this week. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the next headline is a grim, grim total that we just passed this week. Um, more than 1,000 Iowans um, have now died as a result of COVID-19. Um, we say at least that many because, as we just mentioned, we don't know the full data picture from the state. So um, we know that it has at least um, more than 1,000. And these are deaths that are certainly could have been preventable if the governor had acted sooner, if the president had acted sooner, um, and done more. So it's, 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 um, that part of it is really sad, but I also feel like, I don't know what you think, uh, Ivy, but like it, to me, it just feels like there's just with, with the current leadership, there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. Like, I don't know what the end game is. You mentioned earlier, other than like a vaccine. I don't, I mean, I don't know what, like, do you feel any hope that this is more the end than the, or, you know, we're getting toward the end. Uh, I would like to, but I mean, this feels like it's going to go on for at least another year, which is just so disappointing, especially for people like in nursing homes and stuff. They haven't seen their families in 
so long. I mean, my grandpa, it's his birthday this week, and he called and asked, oh. like, if we can go out. And it's sad because we have to, like, tell him no and things like that. So it's just, like, it's obviously disappointing, but it's even more sad thinking about, like, all the people who can't even, like, see their families right now. So, I mean, totally. I'll, yeah, I just feel like there's no end in sight. Yeah, and um, we will certainly be continuing to call on the governor to do more and we hope everyone else does too because that's i mean that's about all we can do at this point so we have to keep we have to keep trying and keep advocating for our own health and for our own lives Mm -hmm. uh another news story this week is that reynolds denied uh attorney general i was attorney general tom miller's request to join the multi-state lawsuit against Trump's policies that were um, really harming the Postal Service, trying to cause voter suppression. And so it's just disappointing that she was trying to block this. I mean, I can't really think of a good reason why you would block an inquiry as to why the post office was uh, having limited overtime hours and uh, removal of automatic sorting machines right before the election. I mean, can you? No, I mean, there's no good reason. I mean, this is, I mean, they've gone from, I mean, in the good old days, quote unquote, good old days, all it used to be was simple, you know, voter ID laws or, you know, certain things like that to prevent you from voting. Now they're literally like disabling the mail to like Mm -hmm. a basic fundamental government service or public service to try and make sure that we don't vote. So, I mean, it's all the stops are or all the, you know, rules or norms are out the window this year because I I think they see the writing on the wall and know that they can't win if it's a fair fight. So they're calling in Russia. They're calling in, uh, they're trying to end the mail. They're calling in friggin' Kanye West. I mean, like, uh, who's on? The, which we're not even getting to this week, but he's apparently, I think, going to be on the ballot now in Iowa. Um, I saw so, or they're mm-hmm. attempting to. Um, uh, so no, they don't. They don't want a fair fight. No, not at all. So I'm just really hoping. I mean, I know that this week the um, the leader of the USPS, the chief said that they were going to stop making the changes before the election, but there's already been so much damage done. So it's just Mm -hmm. really disappointing. And thankfully the house is going to come back and and Mm -hmm. try and pass some legislation to fund the, to fund the postal service. And we'll see if that goes anywhere in the Senate. Um, And they're going to, they're going to haul DeJoy up. I think that's uh, uh, how you Mm -hmm. say it, but his, uh, uh, up in uh, in front of Congress and, and have him testify to um, hopefully hold his feet to the fire too. Um, so um, I, I, I'm hope I'm hopeful that there will be some common sense uh, out of this um, because the mail service is a pretty it's a pretty nonpartisan thing. It's just you know it's a it's um, it's something that shouldn't shouldn't be messed with. All right. Our final headline of of the week is a glimmer of hope. Um, for our back-to-school prospects, um, we have the Iowa State Education Association, our uh, the state's teachers' union that represents thousands and thousands of, of educators and uh, education professionals around the state, um, and the Iowa City schools who are suing the Iowa over the in-person learning requirement that the governor has, has forced upon everyone. Um, 
and really standing up for local control, which is something that Republicans used to believe in or at least claim to believe in. But we've seen bit by bit by bit by bit them taking that away from minimum wage to um, other economic policies now to uh, whether school districts can decide whether or not to safely open during a pandemic. Um, so this is a great um, effort on their part to stand up for students, for teachers, for families that are struggling with this. This is something we have a three-year-old that we you know, are now not sending to uh, preschool um, because, because we don't think it's safe. And luckily, we, that is an option that we have right now because he's young enough. But so many families are struggling with that decision. So it's, uh, anyway, we, we are grateful for that, that they're, that they're standing up like this. But um, Ivy, what, like, I mean, I hope that this lawsuit's successful, but, um, but what's your takeaway from, from the work that they're doing here? I mean, I think it's obviously such good work, such a great effort, because, I mean, if you're pushing students to go to school, yes, there is some value of being in school. But if you can't do it safely, it's really not worth it. Like, even if children aren't getting as sick as adults, they still could contract coronavirus. They could give it to their teachers, to their family. I mean, the trauma that a child can go through, like if they lose a family member because of coronavirus, is just monumental. So, I mean, I'm really uh, proud of Iowa City Schools and uh, Iowa SEA for doing this for sure. Next up, we have, for the first time on our show, a new segment called Hot Takes, where we are going to just quickly give our hot takes on a few hot topics this week. So I'm going to start first with uh, the convention, Democratic National Convention. It is has been a surreal experience. Ivy, have you been watching much of this? Yeah, definitely okay. Obama's speech. I assumed, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, it's been like, it's been kind of fun to watch this because it's been so different and new um it's 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 it, it's a little strange because there's not the big crowds but but i think it's been really well like it's been really well executed yeah um, especially and their speaker lineup has been just really different i think than previous years having like some really uh like strong republicans as well in here i think that's just a different like bipartisan kind of thing to do to show that you know, we need a leader who's going to lead uh, based off of uh, the soul of the nation, not partisan, bipartisan politics. Sorry. Yeah, hopefully, Bar- hopefully that will work. And then there were also, um, you know, uh, like I, my personal favorite, um, Elizabeth Warren was in there and had her BLM, Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. letters in the background uh, and a whole bunch of other cool like things in the backdrop. And then you have these. Um, personal stories that have been able to be mixed in in a really powerful way because it's all video, you know? Mm. So um, it's not just everyone coming up to a podium, but you have these really well-produced um, pieces where people can tell their story. So anyway, I've thought it's been really fun. And um, so that's my my take on the, mm. on the convention. Yeah. Cool. So another hot take this week. So an ex-DHS official, My- Miles Taylor, uh, said that Trump wanted to trade Puerto Rico for Greenland. Uh, it's just horrible. And, and, like, it's just so bad because Puerto Rico, like, they they are American citizens, and I think that people just throw Puerto Rico to the side. And he even said that Trump called Puerto Rico dirty, which is just horrible. So 
Yeah, it's just quite a hot take. Yeah, I shouldn't. I should not laugh at that, but it is just so ridiculous. It's mm-hmm. like he's got these trade. It's like he's trading baseball cards as like a nine-year-old, like immature, like little kid or something. Like, yeah. and that's obviously not how it should work. And the people in Puerto Rico, like, are American citizens, and do, but don't have representation in Congress. And mm-hmm. it's there's a whole slew of like, you know, small D democracy, like bad things that are. Um, part of this, but um, but I think that just shows my my personal hot take on this. It just shows like how little Donald Trump thinks of people. I mean, mm-hmm. of like people who aren't his friends, who aren't himself. Like these, we are all just tradable, expendable um, pieces of you know, uh, like pieces on a monopoly board to him. You know, like that's that's basically it. And so I don't think he has that sense of connection with anyone outside of his personal circle um which is really a sad uh a sad state of affairs mm-hmm. um next is donald trump uh tweeting uh in all caps as he is prone to do mm-hmm. if you can protest in person you can vote in person um a whole lot of things wrong with this but um but uh i i mean it's he just he continues to have I guess just a fundamental misunderstanding of what in the world um, this disease how this disease spreads how I mean and he doesn't really care to think about this he wants to just make a make a all caps point and throw some red meat to his um, to his to his followers um, but but the fact of the matter is if you're inside it does make a difference. If you're not wearing masks, it does make a difference. And every Black Lives Matter protest that I've, that, that I've, that we've seen here, they're always requiring masks. They're trying to, people are trying to stay distanced, um, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely requiring masks and encouraging safe practices. So that, and, and that has not been the case for many events that, that the president's been at. Um, we've seen people ha- ask their, to have their, the administration asked people to remove their masks when Pence came here months ago, um, before he came out. Um, thankfully, they've gotten beyond that. But just a, just a, a another in an awful series of tweets from the president. Mm-hmm. I saw some comeback tweets like, "If you can vote through mail, then we can vote through right. mail." <laughs> oh. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Another hot take this week is Joni Ernst, even after it was announced that the president wasn't going to approve the full funding, she tweeted out another video where she said that she was on the ground yesterday surveying the damage and she was truly thankful for Donald Trump signing the um, yeah, emergency declaration. So it's just interesting that, you know, she is still praising him but hasn't said anything about the fact that the full funding wasn't approved. I mean, how can you just ignore this so i mean my take on this is obviously she's just i swear she's part of like donald trump's fan club it's ridiculous <laughs> i mean that's that's really it i mean i think i mean either she loves him either she loves everything he's doing or she's just terrified you know like she's just terrified that if she criticizes him even in the smallest way she loses a chunk of his support gets a nasty tweet back at her or whatever Either way, it doesn't matter what she's, you know, what she's thinking. Mm-hmm. The effect is the same, that we're getting crap representation as a result, you know. So, um, but, 
but no, it's 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 pretty remarkable how people how these Republican elected officials are just bending like their their spine is basically gone at this point. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. bending over. They bent over so far backwards to appease uh, the uh, this bully president that you know they they're not doing us any good. Exactly. Um, okay, last and and you know uh, I I don't. I couldn't tell you a Billie Eilish song to save my life. So this is the last hot take and Ivy take it away, but, but explain to me why this is just a horrible thing. Okay. So Greg who produces our podcast tweeted that he couldn't name a Billie Eilish song (laughs) on Twitter. This is just a true disappointment. And Greg, I know you're listening to this. I just had to call you out. This is just really horrible. She won four Grammy, like four of the biggest Grammys this year. I mean, it's just yeah. truly disappointing. I don't think you can come back from this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to defend Greg, but I'm in the same boat. Like I, I, I know if you said Billie Eilish, I would know who that is, but mm-hmm. I couldn't. And I know I saw her perform on like Saturday Night Live too. So, but I couldn't tell you the name of a song. But uh, maybe I'd recognize one if it came on. So yeah. Uh, sorry, Abby. Yeah. That's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> This week, we are honored uh, to have some time from Stacy Walker, the Lynn County Supervisor. He has been obviously right in the middle of the recovery effort from the derecho a storm that hit last week. Um, and we had a really great conversation with him about what's going on there and what people can be doing to help. Um, so here now, our interview with Stacy Walker, Lynn County Supervisor. We are joined now by Stacy Walker, a Lynn County supervisor, um, who has graciously given us some uh, some of his time today. Um, Stacy, uh, we're just ten days after this this uh, storm hit, and we are very grateful for uh, to to have you join us here and 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 uh, share some of your experiences. So first, just want to say thank you uh, for for being with us and and taking some time out of what I can only imagine is a chaotic, um, uh, still a chaotic uh, day-to-day experience. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I think just first, we want to um, just ask you to talk about uh, what what are you seeing on the ground on on, uh, on the ground there, and what's what's been your experience these last. Uh, this last week and a half, do you, I mean, are you, are you personally doing okay? Do you, do you have power restored? Um, just what, uh, what have, what have, what's your experience been like this last week and a half? Well, yeah. So if I may, I, I think it might be helpful to lay some context uh, for your listeners. Sure. So uh, last week on Monday, um, uh, Iowa was hit with a, a meteorological event that is called a derecho, which um, as far as I've been able to understand, it's basically a land hurricane. Um, Eastern Iowa was uh, hit with wind speeds um, uh, estimated by the Weather Channel and other meteorologists at about uh, 140 miles per hour, which um, would make that a category four hurricane. Um, And it was completely devastating. it not only uh, damaged, uh, uh, did structural damage to um, farms, businesses, uh, and homes, uh, but it completely wiped out our power grid. So um, 
much of the city is still without power as well as um, some surrounding communities. Um, it did damage to our cellular towers and knocked out the power to our cell towers, which means in the you know, um, ensuing 48 hours after the event, um, people could not communicate. Uh, internet was down, cell phone service was down. Uh, and in addition, um, many roads were completely impassable because we had so much uh, tree um, and, you know, uh, electrical lines down. Um, it was actually a really dangerous situation because folks were trying to navigate around the trees and there were live wires on the ground. This storm tore the roof off of many um, apartment complexes. Um, perhaps later on in the conversation, we'll get into um, some of the low-income communities living in structures that um, probably weren't um, put together very well uh, that completely decimated uh, the living quarters for uh, hundreds of people uh, in this community. And when you add on uh, to all of this, the devastation uh, brought about by the COVID pandemic, which of course um, forced many people out of work um, and it has you know, parents already scrambling to make accommodations for um, what could potentially be a new sort of learning um, environment where you know young kids are at home and they're trying to find extra money to pay for whatever um, accommodations they may need for that. I mean, folks were in in bad shape to begin with, and uh, things have only gotten worse. So, um, I, I I just wanted to sort of lay that context uh, out there um, ahead of our conversation. No, that's that's all really important and and helpful. Um, for us and for everyone listening, um, we actually were just talking about this, that the um, disaster and, or the, excuse me, the, the, the storm that hit plus the, um, the delay of the disaster declaration on top of uh, pandemic and unemployment and er just the, everything else that's happening in, in, in the state right now um, was kind of a, a double, triple, quadruple whammy, you know, with uh, folks hit, incredibly hard. So, um, so no, I think that's really, um, really, uh, um, uh, uh, helpful, but, um, could you, I mean, uh, I think if, before we get into some of the, the response to this, um, I, 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 we've seen images, we've seen, um, some, some of the interviews and store and coverage of this, but, um, maybe you talk a little bit more about what's happening in some of those low income and highly impacted areas. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, this, this happens with any sort of devastating event. Uh, it's, it's typically the most vulnerable, um, in any community, um, that are obviously going to have the hardest time recovering. And that is no different. Um, that situation is no different with this event. We have um, several communities, um, primarily low-income communities, um, refugee and immigrant communities, where um, unfortunately, I mean, the devastation was was it was catastrophic there. Um, you know, when I was touring some of these areas, uh, these were apartment complexes that. Um, look like they took on sort of the eye 
well, I guess the eye of the hurricane is, is a bad analogy, but I mean, they were decimated. Um, and, you know, I was trying to explain to some folks at the Red Cross who um, were helpful in setting up shelters. They were wondering, you know, why aren't these folks uh, coming in for shelter? And I was trying to explain to them, you know, one, there are many reasons, but you've, your, your living environment has just been, uh, you know, destroyed. But everything you've ever worked for is in that apartment. And the idea of leaving it with, without knowing it's being secured, the idea of, of leaving it uh, without knowing what your next living arrangement's going to be um, is really, really hard to do. So we had some cultural barriers, um, you know, our responders had to work through. And, you know, it was a logistical nightmare, again, with roads being impassable. Um, our roads were like seriously dangerous to travel down because either you couldn't get through them because trees were in the way or live uh, electrical lines um, posed a real danger. And again, on top of that, communications were completely down. Um, the county went to, uh, and by the way, the county government still doesn't have um, power to all of its buildings or, um, and, and none of our phone lines are working. So we immediately went to radio communication and sure. trying to coordinate anything under those circumstances is tough. So, you know, we, we had a lot of folks in this community in really bad shape and we had a real tough time uh, getting help to them in a timely manner. Thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of times when we think of like disasters like these, we don't necessarily consider the economic disparities, especially. So thank you. Um, also, what do you think your take is on the local and federal response? I know you talked about this a little bit, but could you go into it a little bit more, especially from Donald Trump and Kim Reynolds, their response? Yeah, so uh, let me start by saying a, a disaster by its very definition means, you know, a lot of things are out of whack and, and things aren't good. Um, and uh it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on first responders in in the best of situations. Now, when it's all said and done and we're doing the postmortem, there's going to be plenty of blame to go around. And, uh, and I will accept um, any amount of missteps that I made as uh, a local elected official or um, my colleagues and I made as a body. Um, and, um, and, I, and I think that's a good place to start from to really sort of analyze, um, you know, what went well and what didn't go so well. But, you know, there is, there's only so much you can do as local government officials, but there's a lot more you can do when you are the governor and you have the ability to call up the National Guard, you have the ability to, uh, um, you know, put pressure on a president who belongs to your same political party, who has campaigned with and for you, um, we have uh, United, two United States senators who um, I uh, haven't heard from at all. Um, and my district, by the way, is uh, it, it's looking like it was the hardest hit, perhaps in, in the entire state. So you have, um, you know, a governor who um, I think just days after the event was attending a campaign event with the vice president mm -hmm. was here, did not find time to make his way over to see us. Um, and you have a president who uh, did not invite um, 
any local leaders um, who happen to be Democrats um, to his visit, which, by the way, so just uh, to be clear, you, all of you, 70, you were not invited, right? Uh, no, I, I was I, not. Invited. I assume that uh, rep, rep, right. representative Abby Finkenhauer was not invited. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been leading um, disaster response efforts here on the ground. And the president flew in, um, landed at Eastern Iowa Airport, held a meeting uh, with Republicans and was out of here in about 70 minutes time um, and did not bother leaving the airport. So he got a good look at right. the Eastern Iowa Airport um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and not much else. So uh, the, the response from Governor Reynolds and our federal delegation, uh, the president, um, was not um, sufficient. And uh, I hope that sooner or later they understand that, that this is a humanitarian crisis happening um, here in eastern Iowa and that they'll step up to the plate and deliver for the people who need it the most. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, we saw, of course, reports that, and and I, mean, I know you've mentioned on social media and speaking out about this, that the president didn't tour, didn't go to see any, like you said, just n nothing outside the airport, didn't see the actual damage. I mean, I I have to believe that that would make an impact in like the the speed in which they would respond, the level at which people would respond, um, respond to this. So, I mean, if there's, I mean. Maybe if could you think about like if there's one image, one moment maybe that has that you think will be seared into your memory from this um, uh, over this last week and a half, um, and kind of describe that for folks um, that that haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, look when you travel into some of these. Uh, low-income communities, some of these refugee and uh, immigrant communities here, and you see them walking over debris, going into apartment complexes that, that don't have a roof, um, sleeping in tents outside of these places. And in many cases, they were still sleeping in uh, these apartment complexes that were deemed um, unlivable by our, our fire department and our housing inspection team. Um, so these these buildings have been condemned and placard, yet they're going inside because they have no place to go. Uh, they're afraid to leave their things. Their understanding of a shelter sort of in their mind um, is, is, is equating to a refugee camp where folks, you know, in some cases have spent 10 plus years of their life. And, and you know, these images alone are uh, triggering for people suffering from PTSD um, like these, the environment literally looks like the one they tried to escape uh, in their home country in many, in many instances. Um, you see young kids and, you know, you know, parents who haven't had access to resources, crying, begging you for anything you can get out to them. And, you know, when you are a policymaker who can, you know, ideally make things happen, when you see that, you really understand uh, the sense of urgency. And I don't know how the president is really going to get a full picture of this disaster when the only time he spent outside of Air Force One was to get in a car that drove him to an airport hangar where he had this 
you know, 30, 40 minute discussion with other Republicans. And in some cases, Republican leaders who aren't even elected yet. Um, and he gets back in that car to go back to the plane and he gets on the plane. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to really understand. They made a point of saying that they had a few pictures printed off for him to look at. So, oh, <laughs> as oh, if that I would. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you guys, you, you guys, you guys know what I'm getting at. It's it's hard mm-hmm. to really understand what people are going through. You're not hearing their stories. You're not seeing the buildings they're being forced to live in. You're not seeing how impossible it was uh, for us to respond to this in a matter that um, we would have liked to. You're not. You're not seeing any of that. You um, <laughs> you spend an hour and ten minutes in the community. Um, Governor Reynolds should have um, should have taken the president on a tour. The president should have invited the folks um, who actually have an understanding of this disaster to give him a briefing. Um, and and politics should have been taken out of all of this because you know human lives are at stake here. Exactly. There's so much going on right now. And it's just really disappointing to see the lack of the government's uh, response, especially at the federal level. So, I mean, moving forward, what do you think like normal people, like regular people can do to help with the situation? Well, um, that's that's a that's a really good question. And I have to start by saying that the people here um, in this community and, and quite frankly, from communities across Iowa and even out of state, um, have been the saving grace. I mean, if we hadn't had volunteers coming in, uh, setting up makeshift distribution sites, if we hadn't been the recipient of resources from all kinds of uh, communities across the state, uh, uh, Blackhawk County Supervisor Chris Shorts organized a a food and supply drive at his home where he collected items and drove, you know, a caravan down from Waterloo. Uh, the Black Lives Matter activists uh, from Des Moines uh, have been here nearly every single day uh, offering, um, you know, volunteer help. Um, every Democrat elected official has been on the ground um, helping us out. Uh, State Auditor Rob Sand put in days of work clearing debris with a chainsaw. We had uh, Zach Walls, uh, State Senator Zach Walls come down. I mean, it's, we wouldn't even be in the shape we're in today, which is still pretty bad, but it's much better than, you know, where we were Monday evening without the help of volunteers. So at this point, um, you know, we still, we still need a lot of boots on the ground as it were, uh, to help with sort of the critical distribution of resources, and as we dis- as we like discover a need, we're literally just canvassing our neighborhoods um, because so many areas still don't have power to try to figure out if there are any places we've missed. Uh, and as soon as we identify those neighborhoods, those communities, we we sort of put out a clarion call to say, "Hey, we need this resource here. We need this resource here." So this is. Um, uh, what I want people to understand is this is primarily a volunteer operation, and there are now a few organizations like the United Way Salvation Army uh, and and a few others that are trying to coordinate the volunteer um, response. But um, this 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 response and recovery is totally um, sort of citizen driven, and that's inspiring, um, but it's also uh, troubling in that. Um, you know, we have federal resources that are supposed to help with this stuff. Absolutely. It's, I mean, 
all of these things that are happening on the ground with neighbor helping neighbor and the examples that you just gave of people, you know, um, spending time and are all wonderful. And, and, and that's kind of the thing that, I mean, in watching the, the, the governor and senators Ernst and Grassley talking with the president the other day, I mean, that's kind of what they leaned on and said that this is happening, which, you know, is a testament to all, to, 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 islands and the people that you the the many people that you just mentioned especially but we need to have you know that only goes so far and that should be like the in my opinion that should be like the icing on the cake um and because there are there's just so many resources that the government can bring to bear in a situation like this but if there's a i guess if if there's is there one um if there's is there a place where people can go and say, like, if I want to send money, I can do this. If I want to chip in for supplies, I can send it to ADA uh, if Chris Schwartz is continuing to do that or Black Lives Matter. What would you suggest if people mm-hmm. want to either spend time, you know, if they or if I if they have time to drive uh, to Lynn County, where do they go? You know, what can they like uh, what can we where can we point people um, to uh, to help out? Yeah. So uh, again, I'd have to say this. <laughs> um, this is a volunteer-run effort right now, um, which uh, is inspiring and amazing, but also um, problematic in, in some ways because the system wasn't designed for um, you know these volunteer networks to to spring up and address these incredible needs in this manner. Um, we're supposed to have other folks that help us with that. Uh, with that said, um, again, there are some sort of larger institutional organizations that people know and trust, United Way, Salvation Army, uh, just to name a few. But if I will, guys, I got to give a shameless plug to um, our Black Lives Matter organization on the ground, which was, um, you know, before the storm, was making incredible, unprecedented progress on much needed uh, criminal justice reforms in this community. Um, it's, 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 it was an organization founded by young people. I think everybody was under the age of 30, uh, that founded, uh, this, this organization and they have completely shifted focus to relief efforts and have mobilized all of their volunteers. Um, so they're no longer marching in the streets right now for, um, you know, justice. They are helping their neighbors and they have become sort of a mobile rapid response unit. And, you know, I'm, I'm plugging them here because they deserve the credit, um, but they're also a model for how um, government ought to be responding to disasters. Uh, the group is called Advocates for Social Justice. They have a, a link on GiveButter um, to receive uh, donations. They are a 501c3. And so what I, what I would say, if, if folks are comfortable like going outside of the sort of major institutional organizations, which I'm sure, you know, will do a lot of good with their help, but they're already pretty well resourced. This group, Advocates for Social Justice, is getting the job done, operating on, I think we raised about $10,000 uh, during our campaign uh, for criminal justice reform, and we've completely repurposed those dollars to relief efforts. So. It's a small but mighty and effective crew, and I would encourage people to go to their Facebook page, check them out. Uh, They're committed to relief efforts for the long haul, 
Um, right now, I'm helping them get some grant monies to um, provide to people who are income constrained, who if, you know, once we get our power grid back up, if the sort of electrical unit on your home was damaged, you have to hire an independent contractor or electrician to come out and repair that so that you can connect back to the grid. And I've heard reports of, of that kind of work costing anywhere from 500 to two, $3,000. And we know a lot of people, um, particularly with all of the other things happening in their lives, will not be able to afford that. So we're trying to, we're trying to meet the needs and that group is impressive and inspiring. So again, um, lots of traditional uh, institutional organizations out there that of course are doing good work, but advocates for social justice are on a whole nother level um, uh, responding to community needs. And I would encourage people to check them out. Great. Yeah, I just pulled it up. It's uh, if people want to search advocates for social justice on Facebook, their actual uh, page link name is ASJBLM. And we will absolutely share. So I have the give the givebutter.com link here. We will absolutely share that online with this episode. So encourage everyone to check them out and donate if you and donate if you can. So um, Stacy, thanks for that. Um, uh, before we go, I uh, want to just uh, ask one other thing. I just ask you if there's anything that else that we didn't ask or that people need to know about, um, uh, about what's happening there, how we can help, just the situation in general. Just wanted to offer that up before we uh, before we conclude here. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I think I would leave people with this. I mean, we're going to be dealing with the ramifications of uh, this series of disasters for a long time. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing years. Um, and in the ensuing time, um, I would ask Iowans to keep doing what they do best. That's being neighborly, um, reaching out to figure out what it is they can do. If you got a couple um, days over the week where you can get up here and volunteer, I would encourage you to consider that, but also help, help, you know, the rest of the state and the, and the rest of the country understand just how serious this is. And we do need to take politics out of it. And we, we can encourage the governor and we can encourage the president to act without making it a partisan thing. When we say, you know, Governor Reynolds, we need help. Uh, you know, President Trump, it's not enough to visit our airport. Those aren't partisan attacks. Those are objective pleas for help. And we need to keep the pressure up on those folks who sort of hold the keys to the purse string and other resources so that they know we need help right now. I mean, you've got the second largest city, the second largest county in the state that lost power for 90% of its residents. And we still have people in the dark and we still have people who need access to food and water. Um, just, just please, please, please keep the, the heat turned up until um, we get what we need here. Well, I can promise you we will do our part in, in, in doing that and calling on them to do more. So, um, and, and trying to encourage everyone to do that. So, um, Stacy, thanks again so much for, um, for, for, for taking some time today. Um, and, and, um, we'll be, well, I know we'll be in touch as this, as this situation continues to unfold and, and, uh, happy to help however we can. So take care. Thank you all. Appreciate it. And last but not least, our final segment, which is new this week, um, is shout outs. 
where we are going to start lifting up some great work that is happening all over the state. Please, please send recommendations to at Progress Iowa or at Potluck FM on Twitter. Um, so Ivy, um, uh, who do you want to give a shout out to this week? I think who I really want to give a shout out to is definitely Abby Finkenhauer and uh, Stacy Walker. They both have done such great work in Cedar Rapids. I know that Finkenhauer was one of the first people I saw tweeting about this right away about the damage and the fact that we need a federal disaster declaration. So just really commending their work. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, every that there've been so many elected officials on the ground there that have been, um, you know, standing up for their constituents um, and really all over the state. But I mean, I saw Molly Donahue on 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 TV, you know, um, criticizing the president's visit because he only had Republican of officials there, and um, which of course um, he didn't even tour the damage um, uh, in Cedar Rapids. Um, and and then I mean I want to I want to throw in uh, all the journalists and reporters. I mean I saw that the Cedar Rapids Gazette was basically like hooking up a generator. I think if I understand right to get a paper printed and out the door um, in the wake of the storm because they lost power. So so many people doing a great job. But Abby Finkenauer certainly has been um, at the um, forefront of all of this, um, pushing for for a better response. And my shout out this week is to the Iowa State Education Association um, for really sticking up for families and students and educators that are not getting represented by Governor Reynolds. I mean, we're just not. Um, she has pretty much decided to line kids up and send them back into a, a dangerous situation of her making. I mean... Um, because she has just basically abdicated all responsibility and 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 not uh, and, and has not done her uh, best effort to to provide a safe learning environment. So she said, "You have to do this." And and ISCA this week um, has said enough is enough and is standing up to her. And I think every whether whether or not they know it, um, every family. Um, that is struggling has struggled with this decision or is faced with a with a tough uh, situation this fall with back to school owes uh, the Iowa State Education Association uh, um, a big thank you for for doing for doing work on their behalf. Completely. I mean, I'm sure that it was tough to come to this decision to really stand up to Reynolds because I know that it's a it can be seen as a really divisive thing, but I think that everyone is truly going to benefit from Elise knowing that their children were stood up for. So, yeah. What a Week is produced by Progress Iowa as part of the Potluck Media Network and would not be possible without grassroots supporters like you. We are mixed and edited by Greg Howenstein. For more information, visit potluck.fm. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. See you next week on What a Week. What a Week.